Uh, but we don't have a speaker for us today, so we have a video from our Regional Minister, Graham Ross, who I think has received videos of before. And this one's entitled Cast Our Nets. So I shall hand over to Pete to do the video and all the technical side. Our Bible reading today is from John chapter 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we will go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realise it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, have you caught any fish? No, they answered. And he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to hold a net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple who Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not too far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the nets were not torn. <coughs> Jesus said to them, come and have some breakfast. But none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and he gave it to them. And he did the same thing with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared, had appeared to his disciples since he was raised from the dead. I meet some people sometimes who say, I wish I was one of Jesus' first disciples. And I must admit, I've got mixed feelings about it. I really wish I was. It must have been absolutely amazing. But it must have been absolutely confusing and perhaps terrifying at times too as they try to keep up and wonder what he was going to do next. Do we want to follow Jesus? Yes, I hear you shout as you watch. Do we want to follow Jesus wherever he leads? Yes is the right answer. But is your brain saying, well, does it depend where he's leading? Do you remember playing follow leader? What a wonderful game, as long as the person who's leading is doing something interesting or not too strenuous. Following can be unpredictable. Who are we following? Where are they leading? What do you like at following? Well, most of us aren't very good at following, are we? We, we like to our independence. We don't like to be told what to do. There are advantages to following, thinking of birds flying in a V formation and the bird or birds at the front are taking the brunt of the air pressure and those that are tucked in behind are having an easier flight. Well, that's a good spot to follow, isn't it? Are we like that? Is that a picture of church rotating in and out, caring for one another, different people taking the lead? Sometimes following involves us being enthusiastic. Take a look at this picture as we see this lady uh, uh, leading these uh, birds along and as they're following her, you almost imagine that she's got food in her pocket or like they're just she's like the Pied Piper or something. But the fullness of the picture shows, of course, there's this dog behind them, just coercing them and helping them to come along. And I wonder again if that's a picture of Jesus' first disciples, where, where much of the time they were so excited following Jesus 
But there was the one occasion where Pete, Jesus says to them, well, are you leaving me too? And Peter says, well, where else can we go? It was hardly a, Jesus, we can't wait to follow you. It was a, Jesus, we find what you've just said really quite hard. But where else can we go? Because you have the words of eternal life. We'll follow you even when it's hard. Because we reckon you are, we recognise you are leading us the right way. One of the things we don't talk about very much, which is sad because it's very evident in scripture, is this. Following Jesus can be difficult. Sometimes churches give the impression that you follow Jesus and it'll be like living your life in peace for the rest of your life. No harm will ever befall you, you'll never get sick. You'll always have plenty, life will be wonderful. It'll be like sitting on a beach uh, drinking cocktails. Um, and, and I don't know where that comes from. It doesn't feel like a very particularly a biblical image to me. Because when I read the New Testament and when I read Acts and I say the church was persecuted and, and even when they weren't being persecuted, they were doing difficult things, the way they were reaching out, the way they were going and talking to people. And is this picture the most um, appropriate picture of what it means to follow Jesus? This picture of skydiving, of jumping out of a plane. I'm terrified of heights. You wouldn't get me doing this. So that's a problem for me, isn't it? If I'm in a plane with Jesus and I think we're flying to the beach to lounge around and halfway through the flight he puts his parachute on and says come on follow me and I watch him jump out what do I do because my heart says follow Jesus that's the right answer that's the best thing for me but my head and my feelings in that moment are saying no I'm terrified of heights the disciples coming back to the bible passage were fishing they'd had a hard day's night and they were fishing and they caught nothing it must have been so discouraging they were tired they were exhausted they were frustrated and I don't know if you've ever felt like that before like one of these two images they were doing what had worked before you can they probably never caught nothing before but on this occasion there was nothing there is this a reminder of where we are as church today we're largely models of church in terms of Sunday morning have remained the same for a number of years that's how we make disciples that's how we do church uh, and I think we've come to a place now where a number of us are recognizing that it's just not working in the same way that it once did it maybe to do with services aren't the best way to connect with people in terms of discipleship people who aren't don't know Jesus I mean it may be to do with us the timing and Sunday morning and Sunday morning's a really busy time for people uh, I just heard of a church the other day who shifted their morning service to 4pm in the afternoon to allow families with children to come more easily. I think I think that's a really good thing. Uh, as we're saying, rather than saying, you should come to our church, and that might work for those families and those kids who are coerced to come. It won't do their faith any good, but it might get them in the building. But it's not going to help those who, have, who aren't Christians yet, is it? Are we doing what has worked before and are frustrated <coughs> working in the way it did perhaps 30 or 40 years ago in terms of seeing new people continually coming to faith? A few years ago when Ken Benjamin was the president of the Baptist Union, he was encouraging us where, to consider where do we grow from here? Where do we change? Well, how do we do something different for the, the reasons I've just been outlining? And one of the things I find astonishing is in that year there was a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of people saying, yes, that's the right answer. We need to experiment. We need to do something different. But then COVID hit a few years later. I don't think that was Ken Benjamin's fault. I don't think it was God's fault either. But I think that in it, God was at work. And a lot of churches who were saying this change might be a good idea. 
were all of a sudden forced to work in radically different ways that they never would have done or would have taken a long time to come to if it hadn't have been for the pandemic. The pandemic has been awful, evil and very stressful for all of us, but God has been at work in it. Like uh, the, the person leading the, the birds in the earlier picture, enthusiastic, but then sometimes we just need that little nudge, don't we? I was thinking of a church recently who instead of called a, calling a new part-time minister, called a families worker. Rather than calling someone to care for their small congregation, they've called someone to expand and make disciples through their very large, messy church. That makes absolute sense to me. How do we make disciples? And do we need to stop and ask ourselves that question? Do we need to realise that making disciples is our primary calling? That's what we're called to do. Uh, but yet, if you observe most churches, we'd say our primary calling is to run services. That's what most of the energy goes into. Now, I'm, there's nothing wrong with services. I'm not having a go. Some of you are watching this in the service. That's fine. I'm glad you're here. But the question is, how do we make disciples? And, and where does our services, do our services fit into that? What else do we need to do? How do we throw our nets on the other side? Well, what about the lady who became a Christian? And she came along to, uh, well, she didn't come along to the church. She couldn't come on a Sunday. She couldn't come midweek. She became a Christian through a friend. And incidentally, and then we're back to disciple making, aren't we? The best way to lead people to faith is not to try and get them into a religious building. It's to encourage one another to learn what it is to be honest about our faith and to be able to talk about how Jesus is real to us in the everyday. Anyway, she became a Christian, but she couldn't come to church uh, because of her personal circumstances. So is this the point when we as a church say to her, wherever society, that's just the way we op operate. You don't fit into our box, and so we can't disciple you. Well, that would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? But, but effectively, that's what we're doing to the many people who we've never talked to, who might be interested in coming to faith. We're excluding them by the boxes that we put discipleship into. Anyway, what we came up to in the end, the friend who had led her to faith and myself and, and, and this other lady who came to faith, we, we met weekly in, in the uh, midweek. We varied the time sometimes uh, to make it suitable. And we just read a little bit of Mark's Gospel each week and just said, what, what, who is this Jesus and what is he like? And we always started with a new question. What did you think about this Bible passage? And it's probably the most effective way I've ever begun to nurture a new Christian as we introduce them to who Jesus is. It's time for us to stop, if we haven't done already, and to listen to Jesus and say, what is it that you've got for your church? Because the disciples, if they'd have shouted to Jesus on the shore, don't you know we've been fishing all night? We're so tired, we're so fed up, we're not doing it, we're not putting our nets on the other side. We've just gathered them in, leave us alone. They'd have gone home miserable. Will we listen to Jesus and follow no matter what he says. A few years ago my wife and I were walking and as we walked uh, uh, down the path this was the picture this was what uh, uh, we, we came to ahead a flooded path. Now I'm a bit funny walking uh, in, in water I'm not good at the seaside but that's a story for another time you might want to invite a psychologist and I didn't like the idea of walking through this water so I got my map out and I was starting to plan for the way through. Uh, as I found the way through, I turned around to say to my wife, this is the way through. And as I got there, she's a lot more adventurous than I am. She had her uh, trousers rolled up to her knees, her boots around her neck, and she was nearly through. She was nearly on the other side. What could I do 
but follow. And as you can see from this picture, there's me. And you can tell, by the way, I'm walking away quite gingerly. I really wasn't enjoying it. Further round on that walk, quite coincidentally, or probably God-incidentally, Tracy said, was talking to me about something she'd been reading in a book. And it was this, the phrase, don't ask God to direct your steps unless you're willing to move your feet. And I thought about me walking through the water. Walking on the water would have been a better idea, wouldn't it? But anyway, there's a thought for another time. Walking through the water, I didn't enjoy it for a minute, but I got to the other side. I was had to be willing to move my feet, even though it was in a way that didn't suit me. And I think the reality is a lot of us are like Bilbo Baggins. Do you remember Bilbo Baggins, the Hobbit, being led on an unexpected journey, being asked to do something really difficult, but yet off he goes. And if you've watched the movies or read the book, you can see he does so very reluctantly, but he goes. Or like this person walking a tightrope. Oh my goodness, that looks terrifying. But if you look on their leg, on their ankle, there's a safety rope, they're tethered, they're safe. They look like they're doing something that they could die from, and I guess they could, they could lose their lives doing this. But realistically, if they fall, the rope has got them. As we feel and believe that God is calling us to step into new things, and if you don't, I wonder if you're listening properly. If in the past 20 or 30 years you're doing things exactly the same as you were then, uh, you know, it's just, just read the Bible. God is continually saying, do something new, or what about this, or being led there, or being led there. God often doesn't do things the same way twice in people's lives. I find that astonishing. And this person taking a risk but being held securely. And, and I think this is a picture for us as we step out, as we do new things, as we take risks for Jesus. But we do so knowing we, he's got us. And ultimately we do so uh, from a place of, uh, sorry, I thought my Bible was here and it wasn't. We do so from a place of scripture and it's a bit like someone looking at a map when they're lost. What we need to do continually is to be coming back to scripture. One of the things that's clear to me is that we, to make disciples, there has to be a relational element. It doesn't work uh, just uh, kind of someone coming to a meeting and us talking at them. It has to be interactive. Why do I think that? Well, it's what the Bible teaches me. If we look at Jesus and how he interacted with people, how he made disciples, are we willing to come back to scripture and let it challenge the way we make disciples? Jesus is God. God became human. In John chapter 1, verse 14, the word, that's Jesus, became flesh, became human, and made his home among us. The indestructible God entered into a fragile human body that can be damaged, that can feel pain, physical pain. The God who is everywhere limits himself to a geographical location in a human body. The God who knows everything limits himself to what can be contained in a human brain. The God who's all-powerful becomes human. The God who created and runs the universe, the God who flung stars into space, submits to human parents. Why? Why would he give up so much? Because he loves us. And there's more, isn't there? Because the Bible says God demonstrates his love. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. As Jesus dies on the cross, he took the sin of the world on himself, the sin that separates us from the most holy God. Jesus died. Jesus came because he loves us. He died to save us. And he rose from the dead to prove it was true. And now we can come to God. Now, before Jesus came, 
Jesus, God, Holy Spirit could have been in heaven having a little chat, looking at humanity. There would have been tears, there would have been emotion. Isn't it desperately sad that humanity is separated from us? And one of them might have said, well, it's their own fault. You know, we've sent the prophets, we've given them scripture, we've told them how to be holy, we've told them how to get to us. It's their own problem. I wash my hands of them, I've done enough. But of course that's not in God's nature, is it? And instead, God demonstrates what it is to throw the nets on the other side, to do something radically different, to achieve a different result. God becomes human. You couldn't make it up, could you? You couldn't, my goodness. And he gives everything that we might be saved. Jesus shows us what it means to throw your nets on the other side, that we might be saved. The question I have for you now as we finish is this. Are we willing to do something new by throwing our nets on the other side, that more people might hear about Jesus? Because we want people to be saved. God help us find the people who you're calling us to be. Help us to listen to you, to look to you, to hear your words and put them into practice. And when we're afraid, help us to take a chance, to take a risk. But as we do so, may we rely on you and your power and your leading as we move forward.